Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, I haven't done hey, hey, hey in a while. It's and nice. I know. Remember in the beginning you was hating on my hey, hey, hey? I don't remember ever hating on anything you've ever done. <laughs> I'm a Tiffany stan. <laughs> so we're back, Ron Ambition listeners. Did you miss us? We missed you. I know, we did. Mostly I missed you. I don't know them. <laughs> I don't know them like that. Whatever, Mandy loves you guys. She talks about you all the time. How great your hair is and how you always dress so well. You send the <laughs> nicest tweets. Thank you guys so much for all the love and support. And yes, yes, we're back. And I have to say a quick shout out to the Paychecks and Balances podcast because I was not, we didn't have an original show last week, but I was on their show and a lot of BA listeners, I think, were tuning into that. So thank you guys for supporting and listening to the podcast. And if you haven't heard it yet, my episode was on last uh, last Tuesday. And again, it's called Podcast and Balances. That's a fun show. And we're going we're gonna to have them on sometime it's soon. Text and Balances or Podcast and Balances? Hey, did I say podcast? Yes. You my did. bad. I've been doing that. Ugh. Paychecks and bounces. I was um, like, wait, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> did I keep saying it again and again? Okay. No, just for one time. I was like, that's a weird name for a podcast. I didn't have my afternoon coffee. Um, yeah, but those, I, it's funny because they're like, they're two dudes. And I, I was joking that they're like the other end of the podcast spectrum. Like they have the Y chromosome and like we're the kind of like dueling perspectives, female and male. So I think it'll be fun to have like a crossover episode where they come on the show and we talk about something fun, like gender, you know, ways to spew or something like that. That would be fun. Yeah. So. What's what? new? Are you in your new house yet? What's oh. happening? Oh, Mandy, we're not getting the house. <gasps> no. I know. So everything was so perfect That's until. the saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> well, one, so we got the home inspection. Lord, mm-hmm. don't. This is, I mean, if the lesson is for anyone is to not get attached to a house until you get the home inspection. Everything that could be wrong was wrong. Oh, no. We had, like, foundation issues and needed a new roof. Like, the foundation was so bad that they would have to lift the house, relay the foundation, and put the house back down in order for it to be fixed. Like, that's like $100,000 worth of work. Uh, It needs a brand new roof, which is crazy. Um, There was termites. Um, like just anything that you think of, like, you're like, as long as the house doesn't have this, we can get it. It was all of those things. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that it could have had was lead, right? Just like that. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, and then even then the, um, we had something like called like an oil tank. So a lot of older houses used to, well, all old houses for the most part were heated by oil tanks. So there was this big tank in the ground in your front yard. And then the oil man would come by and fill you up. And that's how you made it through the winter. 
And so oil tanks are not the safest because they're metal and they can corrode and then they can also um, like taint your soil. So we asked for it to be removed and they were removing it. And it's looking like um, we might have had some seepage, which means that the soil is contaminated. Oh, God. And, and then on top of that, like, so, and this is another thing that you should, everyone should get this. It's called the Oprah, O-P-R-A. I forget what it sounds like, what, what it, um, it stands for, but go to your county clerk's office. If you're interested in the house, you're really interested, and you're g- going to make an offer, the day you make the offer, go and get your Oprah report. It's free from your county clerk for the most part. Like, sometimes they charge you, like, 20 cents for the copies or something. Um, because our Oprah um, report, it takes sometimes up to two weeks. We got it back today. This is after we decided we're not going to get it. Mandy, what? It says on there that they, they have so many violations because if anything city associated happened, the city has a report of it and you can get an Oprah report of all the things happening with that house or that has happened with the house that has been recorded by the city. So apparently they didn't they didn't disclose this, what they were supposed to, that um, two of the units are like sharing utilities and they're not supposed to. Like wires are crossed, he gas mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we would have moved in there, I was wondering why there was no one on the first floor. Because the first floor, the second floor person apparently is paying for two units illegally by mistake. So they just kicked out the first floor person. It's just a mess. And I'm like, I'm glad we know now. Although it was an expensive not know because you still got to pay the lawyer. We pay for the appraisal, which I know now not to get an appraisal before we get the home inspection. We paid for like, so it's we're probably out, honestly, like $2,500. Ouch. No. But better twenty five hundred than one hundred fifty thousand. Amen. Well, I'm sorry it didn't work out, but I, I'm at the other hand, I'm like relieved for you that you took, you did the right thing and didn't, you know, per, like did your inspection and all that. So now you know. But what yeah. a bummer. I know. But honestly, you know, like at first I was like, no. But then I said, Tiffany, honestly, if you would have gotten this house, it would have. This is the type of decision that would have broken our finances, like broken. Mm-hmm. So even though it's twenty five hundred, I'm like, you know what? It's 2500 and not like, I mean, literally, we couldn't have sold this house again. Like, we would have been stuck with a house that is sinking and would have, I just can't even imagine what it would have done to our finances. So I just, 2500 honestly seems like nothing in comparison to what would have happened. So, you know, you live and you learn and you're just like, oh. But aside from that, honestly, it's not even the house that depresses me. You're going to say, I told you, girl, guess whose car broke down? Your car broke down. <laughs> Oh, no. Actually, I would have laughed. Like, in my head, I feel like I should laugh, but then I just feel bad. No, but, you know, I was like, Tiffany, this is why you're supposed to have gotten the car before. Everyone told you to get a daggone car. So, meanwhile, Superman sold his car, like, maybe, like, I don't know, six months ago. So, we were down to one car. And I kept saying, like, it's time to get a car, Tiffany. Everyone said it. Mandy said it. Everyone. Dreamcatchers have told have told me. And we were like looking at houses again this weekend and, and and we saw the car was overheating. So apparently the fans are not turning on. And it's like basically, so basically on Wednesday, I literally have to get a car. And like, that, that's the only day I have free. Isn't like, so I guess that's God's way of saying, I had told you to get a daggone car. And now you got, now you <laughs> on got Wednesdays, it. we get new cars. <laughs> so I have to get a car Wednesday, but it's. I'm so excited for you. I'm, 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 I'm sorry it had to come to that, but you really did drive that car into the ground. Every last cent out of that car. I did, honestly. You that should car do a proper burial. I, for real, honestly, I'm gonna take a good picture and some video of it and give it a hug and just feel like you have, you have done me so right. I just, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's good and bad. So that was my life for the week. <laughs> what about hospice you? for cars? I feel like it I'm, deserves <laughs> <I know>. care. <laughs> oh man. Speaking of cars, 
um mama got a nice tax refund <laughs> yeah yeah um i got a nice tax i got a, a abnormally nice one because i switched jobs in the middle of the year and you know when i was basically getting taxed at a higher income but i didn't technically earn the income for the year since i was earning less at my last job anyway okay. long story short got a short got a really nice tax refund and had a call with our financial planner and I was in my mind I'm thinking la 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 honeymoon gonna pay off the last of the wedding with this money and this is awesome um and then you know talking to my financial planner she immediately we you know what we forget about is um my fiance's student loan debt like to mm -hmm. me it's there there's about twenty thousand dollars but it never really felt like the most important thing mm -hmm. he's making his payments you know it's in the background and until recently you know now that we're getting closer and closer to being husband and wife I haven't really considered it my problem, you know, or my debt. <laughs> and like, she's like a personal problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're going to handle that, right? Um, anyway, and she was like, but she forces us to look at it as part of our picture um, okay. and as part of our net worth, which is smart because it really is. It's negating our savings because, you know, it, it's there. But anyway, so she was like, well, what have you thought about putting it toward the student loan debt? or toward your car note and we paid half of our car in cash so we don't have we only have like we were going to pay it off within a year no questions asked um but um anyway so she had me thinking and uh on paper it would have made sense to put it on the uh some of my fiance's student loans because some of them were like six percent interest and our car note is only like two point i don't even know four percent very low Okay. Great. So the student loans are costing us more. But in my mind, I decided to go and put it on the car note okay. because I figured he has federal student loan debt. We have all the protections that come with yeah. that. So if anything happens, we lose our jobs. We can always put our loans, his loans in deferment or, you know, income based repayment, right. whatnot. But if um, and for me, it felt like the car, like if we lose our jobs, like we're going to not be able to pay the car and there's no, you know, sure. There's no options for that. It's just you got to give the car up or sell it or whatever. Smart. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's smart. She said it was okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not a financial planner. I'm like, that's good. I'm like, oh, wait, that's like the doctor. You go into the doctor and like the woman in the nursing in the waiting room is like, ooh, good choice with your health. And you're like, really? Because you have no bed. No barrier. Like it's there's no wrong or right. It's really just what what helps you sleep at night. And it's a, it's a mental thing. I mean, like I said, on paper, it made more sense to to get rid of his six percent interest student loan debt. And but what I you know, but but in my mind, you know, one this the car, like I said, there's there's no second, there's no like uh, safety net there for us. Um, if we lose our jobs or I don't know something crazy happens and our savings are gone, like um, we don't have any sort of flexible repayment options for that, like we do with the loans and. And, it, you know, so I ended up going with that decision. But that whole conversation started now. Now I'm like obsessed. Like I'm like, we're going to get rid of those student loans. Mm. Now they're my problem. Now we're going to do this. <laughs> but doesn't, doesn't fiance boo, doesn't he work for the government? He does. And we had her do the math. So you're thinking about public student loan forgiveness? Yeah. Yeah. So public student loan forgiveness. Yeah. If you work as a school teacher, nonprofit or public serve a uh, public job working yeah. for the, any government, city or state, basically, or federal. Um, yeah. You if you make one hundred and twenty um, on time payments, which is basically 10 years worth of payments, you can qualify for um, to have the balance of your student loan forgiven. But his loans are such that we really aren't he won't have any loans to forgive um, okay. after 10 years. We had her do the math, okay. our financial planner. Um, so really, there's not a huge benefit. And honestly, I don't know. I 
I at least, I at least, because he does have that 6% loan, like I at least want to get rid of that one. The rest of them aren't so bad. But I was looking at his, I, I made him print out his, or send me all of his um, his statements so I could really get a sense of what, he, what we're dealing with. Um, and a lot of his, half of his payment toward that loan is just going to interest. Um, and he's not making any progress. So I'm like, we are going to start making additional payments yeah. on that as soon as possible. And it, so it, I'm glad we brought, I'm glad that she forced me to like change my mindset because now I... I got my eye on the prize, man. Just like, we're going to get rid of those loans. The car is going to be paid off. And the wedding is, oh, golly. The wedding is paid off. The wedding's that's done. Good. Honestly, to me, that, that's that been like my theme like this week. Like I like I went live, with, you know, I have my Literature Academy and I went um, live and I talked about like the house and how, you know, we weren't going to get it. But really the theme for me is like asking for help. Because so many, so many times, you know, we're making these decisions on our own and like, getting professional opinions about specific things. You cannot, even though, you know, you're in the, you're a financial professional, you have a financial planner who's like, wait, Mandy, like, I want you to look at this and look what that's done for you. And it's like, you know, me having the home inspector guy really come out and asking for help that so many times we struggle through things on our own and, you know, it's, it's not helpful. And if we would only ask for help and sometimes help costs money because I'm cheapo number one. I mean, you see, I have to literally wait for my car to die on me and it's not like mandy if you would see my bank account you'd be like tiffany are you kidding me like i'm such a little like miser i have like i i, I spend like next to nothing like i'm like oh a penny literally i pick pennies up off the ground i pick them up i do <laughs> and so I it's not it. like oh, <laughs> i don't have any money saved or penny wise like pound foolish <laughs> but it's just that like I guess part of me is afraid because I know what it's like to be really broke you know post recession and that was kind of scary for me so I really don't want to go back there mm -hmm. and then two I've always been kind of a cheapo anyway that's just like my personality <laughs> but you know but I'm learning that oftentimes that being cheap is actually expensive oh yeah you know what if I would have gone with like like my our home inspector actually was on the high side as far as expense but as I was like really looking up home inspectors he was highly rated five stars on like all the platforms you could think of, Angie's List, advisor.com, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so he was more expensive. He probably was like two or $300 more than the average home inspector, but it was so detailed, it was worth it. Um, and just learning like, you know, like this whole car thing, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna rush, like, but I'm, I might not get as good of a deal as I could because now I have to get a car on Wednesday. So I have to make a choice um, versus like, oh, okay taking my time a little bit because I've been like kind of dragging my feet. So yeah, that's been like my theme for the, for the yeah. week is yeah. really like paying for help, you know? So your next challenge would be to get a car that's actually may cost more because it's yeah. reliable, right? So no, how, no, how are you doing on that? Yeah. So I decided, so my, 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 my budget for the car is between 20 to $25,000. Very reasonable. Yes. And so I saw, I think I know what I'm going to get. I, it's, I'm thinking I'm going to get a Lincoln MKZ which looks like luxury, but the price is like really good. And I've seen one for, it's like 23,000 and it's a 2015, whoop, whoop. So, and it's, um, I'm, I'm gonna get certified pre-owned and with their certified pre-owned, I don't know if every, um, every company um, or every car company has this, but their certified pre-owned is 100,000 miles or six years, whichever comes first. So oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, it is great. So that's why I really like them. And I was like, okay, so I'm definitely, yeah, I'm not skipping on the car. I'm going to get like a good, and I did like my reviews and looking at like, you know, which cars were good. And so that's kind of like the car I've leaned toward because I like the way it looks, but also I like that certified pre-owned 
like that warranty and you know and I'm yeah I'm, and I'm, I'm I have the money saved so I'm paying cash so I'm hoping I can talk them down a little bit um but you know I don't know because they're not making any money any extra money by like with my payments because there's no payments I'm just gonna get a cashier's check nice yeah so yeah no because I'm like yeah, yeah I'm not gonna get like a Oh, no, 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 no. I can't live that life anymore. Besides, I, I'm so embarrassed. Like, I got an award this weekend from the Zetas, the uh, Omega Omicron Zeta chapter in New Jersey. And, like, I always park around the corner. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm just going <laughs> <laughs> to. my car is so. I mean, your name is the Budget Nista. So, okay. you're on brand. You're on brand. I know, but I'm like, I don't want to live this life. Like, I never do valet parking, so I'm like, you might not be able to start it. It needs a little shake. <laughs> oh, Tiff, I'm so happy for you. I know. <laughs> I know people are listening like, wait, so she really, so it's not like just like a gimmick. This is her life. I'm like, yeah, no, I. She's not lying, you guys. This is not exaggerating. This is not to make you feel better about her success. No, it's, she's really struggling. Yeah, no, this is my <laughs> life. Like, I really am like truly the budget needs to, it came from like r- real life experience. So, yeah. So I'm just proud of myself, like teamwork and, you know, paying people to help you and not making all decisions on your own. I think women sometimes feel like you really have to be super women all the time and you don't. And imagine if that had happened after you'd sunk all the down payment money into that house. You know, that would have been like yep. a double whammy. Well, the good thing is that you put a deposit. So we put half the down payment, but you give it. We gave it to our lawyer. She put it in an escrow account. Mm-hmm. And once we cancel, because you can cancel like we had in, in our that's why your contract. It's so important. Like before you leave attorney review, that's when both attorneys are going back and forth with the contract. You want to make sure that you have things like that in place. Like we had things like, hey, if these things are wrong, we can walk away. If the bank won't give us a mortgage, we can walk away. So there are all these reasons why we can walk away. And there's all these reasons why they could. And so you put in the contract. So that way, if we walk away um, and it's within the contract boundaries that we get back our half our deposit. So, you know, we get that money back, thankfully. But just certain people that have to be paid regardless. Like the lawyer has done her due diligence. The appraisal was done and the um, the, the home um, inspection was done. So those have to be paid for. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, bummer. But everything happens for a reason and you will find your dream house. I'm, I know you will. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and we buried the lead on this one. We have an exciting guest tonight. Yes, we do. I might actually, I'm such a stan of, of, you guys know, I don't know if you know, I've talked about it before, my hair, my, my hair story has been tragic. Um, and I have been trying to figure out, so from the age five, and I'm biracial for those of you who don't know, um, and from age like five, I, um, my mother started relaxing my hair and I never knew what my actual hair texture looked like, except for photos of me as myself as like a baby and a toddler. Until the past couple of years when I finally was like, wait, but why am I torturing myself and burning my scalp off with relaxers? And I'm just going to stop. And it's been a rocky road. So much money has been wasted in the beauty care aisle at every drugstore, every, you know, big box store, trying to figure out what product I like until I found Miss Jessie's. And this is not an advertisement. We're not getting paid for this. I'm not getting paid for this. I just genuinely love her products and it's helped me love my hair again. And like, I was at that, if you've ever tried to transition from, you know, to natural, like, I don't know if you, you reach a breaking point at a certain point. And especially if you don't do a big chop like me and and you're like, I can't, I cannot sit here with this comb and my shoulder is always tired because I'm constantly detangling. And I reached that dark, 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 dark place so many times until I found her stuff. So 
I'm so excited to have Nico Branch, who is the co-founder of Miss Jessie's, on the show today. Yes, I honestly, I'm you know, I'm just a fan of women who are running their own businesses because I, I'm like just like how because I'm I'm running a business, so I can only imagine and to run at a certain level, like the level that she's on with her business. Because when I was making my transition, is when I believe Miss Jessie's. Um, like first started to kind of hit the store. Um, like, you know, you could go in the store and see it. And I remember, like, I used to do a lot of research and I remember that that was one of the things. It was like, ooh, new product, try Miss Jessie's. And I think, I don't know if they were on the forefront of like natural hair shouldn't really be using like traditional shampoos and here's like a, a no shampoo wash. I mean, I just remember being blown away that there were actual products for like natural girls, like in the store. I was like, are you mm-hmm. kidding? Yeah, it didn't so. exist before them. I mean, they were really at the forefront. And these, yeah. her and her sister, TD, who's passed away um, in the last couple of years, like they, uh, you know, Miko was the one who was the hairstylist and TD was sort of the one helping in the background with the PR and the marketing. But they start, she started in a one chair salon in her Brooklyn apartment, you know, in the early 2000s. And I was, I've been reading her book. If you guys, if you want a really good book on just, you know, how two sisters built this hair care brand, you got to check out their book. It's called Miss Jessie's Creating a Successful Business from Scratch Naturally by Miko Branch. It's such a good book. It's such a nice, it's about sisterhood, like at, at its core. It's, it's, and I can't wait to talk to her about, you know, her influences and how they built this business from scratch. You know, they didn't have an MBA. They didn't have angel investors. They didn't have anything. It was just blood, sweat, tears, guts, all that. Just a great story. So I am such a stan. I'm so happy to have her on. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just. I'm going to cry. I can feel it. (laughs) When you speak to folks like that, you're just like, you know, because one, it just lets you, it makes you realize I can do it. You know, like it's like, she's just like me. Like, I can do it. Regular girls who, like you said, didn't go to school for all of this stuff. And it's just like, you know, it's possible. And yeah, so I just love to see that. It's just, I'm excited that she's going to be on because I'm just, from a businesswoman standpoint, I'm just like, you know, what does balance look like? I just can't wait to ask her like our, you know, our our questions. So snaps for Miko. So speaking of girls, we didn't talk about this, but I think we should at least like, so DC and the missing girls. Let's talk about that because I'm not sure what to believe. Yes. I've either. seen some things that have been like sensationalized and they're actually, yeah, I, I've been like waiting for someone to do the big story that tells me what's actually true. So are yeah. there like, a bunch of brown girls in D.C. that are missing that no one or, or I don't or know. What? And I, I've been looking, I've been like researching and I, like, you know, like I remember seeing like just a couple days ago an article with like two girls found and then people were like, no, those were in Atlanta or I just... Like you said, it's been very um, unclear of like, is is this? A, I know obviously there there are some girls that are missing. I think that part is really clear, but like to what extent? Like what's really happening? It's like what that's the confusion for me. Well, and- police are are denying that it's true. So the and if you don't know what we're talking about, so there is this picture that went around, right? This viral image that said fourteen girls have gone missing in D.C. in the last twenty four hours. And this was sometime last week. And I was just, I just found this, this is from today. And I trust, I trust NPR. They're my jam. And they say that the Metropolitan Police Department, which is um, DC police, are saying that in no recent weeks have 14 girls disappeared from the city in a single day. Um, But they do say that they have had over 500 cases of missing juveniles, um, many of whom are black or Latino. 
but all but 22 of those cases have been solved. So like the actual picture that's going around may not be real, but the problem seems to be. Okay. Seems to at least be like a problem that so many um, black and Latino teenagers have gone missing. Um, and there's still 22 unsolved cases out there. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, but that just, that just blew up. I saw Tina. When, once you see Tina Knowles posting about it, you you have to ask yourself, what's really happening? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Cause that's what I said. I'm like, and, and I, but I don't like to be the person that just was like, you know, something is like sensational. And I'm like, let me repost it. Cause I'm like, well, what if it's not true? Mm. Yeah. I think that, I mean, fake news goes both ways. Like, you know, I think that people are taking advantage of the racial tension right now that's happening. And, you know, know that they can say something. You know, I think if someone tweeted tomorrow, a fake person, a fake African-American woman's name and a fake city by, was shot by a fake police officer, I bet it would go viral before anybody realized it wasn't true uh, because it sort of feeds into the storyline that's become, you know, that's that's become sort of like present, right? I think that, and there's a lot of fake news out there that that, you know, tries to drum up controversy, which is unfortunate because there's so many, I don't feel like we need any fake stories. Like there's plenty of legitimate, horrible things happening. That homeless guy in New York, for example, who was just shot or sorry, stabbed by a, you know, white supremacist. That's real. That shit happened in New York City. Um, There is, you know, there's enough crazy shit out there. I don't know why we have to make up or sensationalize, you know, falsehoods. Yeah, so I guess when we get more info, you know, we'll definitely share. And if you guys have some like intel, we'd love to, you, know, you can tweet us at the BA podcast. Um, right? Is that what our Twitter name is? Yes. Has it been that long? The, <laughs> at the BA podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think it's, you know, as a member of the media, like I, it is so, I, I have to say it is so important to just check your sources. And if you see a story going around, just find out where their sources is. And if you can't find it, then maybe yeah. don't spread it yeah. until you yep. can, you know, if you, until you can prove it, I get, I get these, my dad is the worst. Actually, both my parents, they'll send me the craziest links from like infonewsnugget.com or like these, these websites that have like no basis in truth. And they just, they're in the business of creating headlines that go viral, um, you know, on social media and it's completely false. But um, I think if we just took, like did, I think part of our civic duty now um, which maybe wasn't a part of it before in history. A part of our civic duty has to be sure that the information that we're, you know, um, that we're taking in is accurate, and the information that we're sharing is accurate. Because um, you can do a lot of damage. I mean, we don't have to tell you what fake news has wrought upon our beautiful nation. Yeah, no, it. You're right. It has, and I think it is part of our civic duty to make sure. Because there's so much going on, and I don't want to flood, like you know like my timeline with stuff that I'm not like, well, is this real? Let's, let's find out for sure. And I mean, yeah, I just want to make sure for sure. Cause I don't like to go back because I've done that before. I've seen something. It's made me really sad or upset or mad. And I posted it and somebody be like, girl, that was from 2014. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> let me do my due diligence. Are you ready for some brown breaking or brown boosting? I'm ready if you're ready. Well, I'm ready for, I think I'm going to do a boost. Give the people what they want. We all want boost. I'm going to do a boost to the descending um, Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) I like that shade queen in the house. I'm like, 
okay, Republicans. So I like the fact that you shaded your own president um, and did not vote for, you know, this overhaul of Obamacare that did not make sense. So now some things I can understand, you know, like, for example, like the penalty kind of for not having health care. I could see that it's not like all bad. And I'm not going to pretend like Obamacare is amazing. I have it. And, you know, there's some issues for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, our president, well, your president, because he ain't no president of mine. Um, the, you know, <laughs> this, the, like the president, he, you know, his, his healthcare bill from just looking at some of the, the differences that he's wanting to make. I just, it's just clear that he's, he's thinking more like, I saw this great article where it describes the, pre- the, the problem with hiring a businessman to be the president is that they come from different perspectives because when you own a business, it's really top down. Like I am the boss and then we, I disseminate um, responsibility, like, but it leads from my desires. And the president is literally the opposite. The desires are supposed to come from the people. Mm-hmm. But that is not the way this president works and because he is not a politician. And so as a result, he's, he's choosing what he thinks it ought to be versus the, what the will of the people are. And so like, I'm, it's very, very, very telling and funny how you have control of like the House and you have control of the Senate and yet you can't get something passed. So it's like, hmm. I mean, they were going to take away emergency room services and maternity and mandatory maternity, basic level maternity coverage. They were going to remove that that from insurance. Like right now, insurers have to offer basic maternity um, coverage and they were going to take away that mandate. Like that's that's insane. There's a picture going around of like everyone around a table, all these congressmen, men being the operative word, but like every, like just nothing but white dude, white dude around this huge table discussing the future of maternity care. And that just like made my blood boil because how in 2017 in America can that be the case? Like how can it even be remotely considered that we wouldn't need maternity? Do these people not have mothers? Yes, that's what I don't understand. Do you know where you came from? No, it's they don't, honestly. Men maddening, are like- maddening. Men sometimes, I mean, and no shade to men if you're listening, but I think people are so disconnected. I remember reading this, this like, uh, this like article about a dude who this woman was at a pool and she was breastfeeding her baby, and this guy walked up to her and was like, "I can't believe you're doing this out here. It's disgusting, and like you should be ashamed of yourself and cover yourself up." Mm-hmm. His mother overheard him. Did we talk about this? His mother. Mm-mm. Oh, his mother overheard him. She was at the pool with him. It was like, "What did you just say to her?" And he was like, "Ma, you know, like leave it alone." I'm just. He's like, "No, no." Are you telling this woman that she shouldn't be breastfeeding in public? I breastfed you until you were two years old in public. <laughs> and he was like, what? She was like, are you crazy? How do you think you got to be out? Like, I breastfed you. And doing what she's doing now is exactly what I've done. How dare you speak to her like that? And he felt so stupid. Like, like you are literally a product of the thing that you're telling this woman not to do. And I think I don't know how people disassociate themselves from. Like, are you that rich? that you've forgotten or, or you just cannot understand that not everybody has a ton of money to do to say, oh, I don't work for six months and we can still support my family. Like it just, I just don't understand how you like how that connection is completely lost. Is every politician, were they all born to like wealth? No, they weren't. But they think of it. It's such a crazy mint. It's like they, they, in their minds, you know, and I have fam- family members who do this. They tell themselves a story about these women. They tell themselves these are low income, uneducated uh, minority women who are just sucking the system and taking benefits from other people. And those tax dollars could be going into, I don't know, buying, you know, 
funneling into our defense, you know, budget, which is the biggest in the world. Like they tell themselves that story and they don't look at the facts of who benefits from this. And you know, when you help a mother, you've, you've said this before, I've said it before, when you help a mom, you're not just helping a woman, like you're helping a family, you're helping the children that she's raising, you're helping, you know, the, 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 the company that she works for that she can go contribute to the businesses that she's going to shop at, like, cause she has money to because she has you know paid or not paid leave but just maternity leave or maternity not and sorry we're not talking about maternity leave we're talking about health care like the the you know the pre uh, prenatal visits you know in in delivery and all that stuff all that crucial early life stuff we haven't even gotten to the stuff that comes after that the well visits and people don't see how like through making sure that women okay you make sure that the world is okay how do you not see that like did you think you just you just were like artificially inseminated in like a robot and you're just here like 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 I just don't understand how you don't see that it's through obviously it's men too but like that you cannot not help women and think that the world is going to be okay like even if like or like your wife is not raising your kids you have a nanny well what do you think she is a woman like if if women are not okay, the world is not okay. And the thing is, I don't understand why people don't think how connected we are. Like, I used to think to myself when, like, when parents were like, oh, you know, it's like, it's those kids over there. I'm like, well, those kids over there are hanging out with your kids. So if those kids over there are not good, like the kids in Newark are not good, guess where they're hanging out? They're hanging out with the kids in Westfield too. And if you think that those kids are not going to affect your kids, they are. So if you don't care about all kids, you're putting your child at risk as well. And so I don't understand why people don't, it's like when um, the AIDS ec- epidemic, you know, first really broke and people were like, well, it ha- it's, it's gay, it's gay men, who cares? But they weren't realizing it's not just gay men because not every man who, who has sex with men only has sex with men. Mm-hmm. Some of them have sex with women and some women are having sex with other men. I mean, like, so it wasn't, even if one community is, is highly affected, we are all interconnected because there are always people in communities that cross over to other communities. And so no matter what, we have to make sure that we're all okay if we want to all be okay. And it's just sometimes so frustrating that people can't see that. And I'm like, you know, like, what is it going to take for you to realize that, like, it's not just this kid or just that woman? That that I don't woman- know, Tiffany. Globalism, empathy, those are very out of fashion right now. <laughs> it it's is America right now. first. It's America <laughs> first. We just need to, like, worry about our own business and forget the rest of the world. They don't have any impact on us. Oh. Um, yeah, what I will say, you know, when my boost was going to be very similar, but I'll take the other side and I'll say I'm going to give a boost to everyone who wrote letters to their congressmen, who tweeted at them, who spoke up on social media, who funneled record breaking donations to Planned Parenthood and all these organizations um, to show that we have a voice and we will not, you know, we will resist the types of policies that are going to take us back decades and centuries um, just, you know, so a demigod can prove a political point or prove that, you know, he can, he can, um, you know, make a deal. And I feel like this is just proof that we do have a voice and that not all is lost, you know, with him and the presidency that we can, he, he doesn't have control, you know, at the end of the day, the people that he needs to control are controlled by us Yep. and we can sway our local representatives. So, um, yeah, I just have to give a shout out. And I think that played a huge role and the fact that this was not passed. Um, yeah. People don't, they're going to vote, you know, of course they, they would have had no problem voting for that bill if their constituents oh. hadn't said, well, we will not vote I for agree. you. We I will agree. not vote for you. They see how riled up people are and they're like, at the end of the day, 
I won't be here. Like, because people are like, I can't wait to the next election. Like, do do what, what we don't believe it should, you know, you should not do. Like, see what happens and see if you're going to be sitting in that seat. Like, people mm-hmm. are ready to go. They see that so many people stayed home for the elections and people are not doing that anymore. They're like, wow, I see, like, what's happening in this country. Just, I feel like we're going to have record-breaking um, 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 voting for the next, like, election. That's not, not in the terms? Yep. I really believe so. I can't Hey, BA fam. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Okay, guys, it is a moment I have been waiting for selfishly. You guys have been waiting for. We finally have her on the show, Miss Miko Branch, the co-founder of Miss Jessie's Natural Hair Products. Miko, (gasps) goddess of the earth. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Wow. Mandy, it is so good to talk to you. I, I, I understand you are a curly girl and Tiffany is one too. So I'm happy to kick it with you ladies about all things curls, kinks and waves. Well, there's so much inspiration, so much, so much about your story that's inspirational. I mean, the success of the business is one thing, but I mean, you need to tell people that you, you and your, in your sister TD, who has sadly passed away recently, um, you guys built this company from scratch. No MBAs, no angel investors, no crowdfunding. What was that like building? And before people even cared about natural hair or saw the potential there, what was that like? It was two sisters just uh, making it happen, um, making ends meet being innovative, uh, being um, just teaching I against the world. That's what it felt like. And um, I don't think we really lifted our heads up to understand what we were doing at the time. But we did. Uh, it was clear to us that we were coming up with something that was going to be useful. So that made us feel really good. So it was actually fun while we were building. Did you ever, like, when realize whoa like we have something here you know like like you know like that like i made it moment we were like wow like we're really doing this like was there like a moment or was it kind of gradual Mm -hmm. well tiff uh tiffany there were many moments there were many aha moments and uh, some of the first aha moments came when we uh discovered that we had curly but not kinky hair And that discovery for me was at bath time with my son while we were struggling in our business. My son splashed all around. I'm a single parent, and it was very um, important for me to be in his life. So I did hair in the house, and I was also his mom in our house. 
and uh, I gave him baths on the fourth floor. He splashed around, and I could no longer keep my straight styled hair straight, and I just had to embrace it. That started a conversation, and in that moment, I knew we had something. Um, And then, you know, we had other aha moments with the product, um, but that was our very first understanding that it was going to get interesting. And you started doing hair, so you were always, you know, in your heart, you were a stylist, but you, you went through, you went, you were going to go to fashion school, right? You went to FIT before (laughs) you went to beauty school. How did you, I mean, how, what was it that was driving you or making you think that maybe not hair isn't for me, maybe I should do something like go to fashion school? Well, when I went to FIT, uh, it was it was very um, unpleasant. It was not a fun experience, and my education at FIT made it very clear to me um, that this was something I did not want to do. So uh, the moment I graduated from FIT, um, I, I signed up for hair school, and I understood that it's time for me to do something that I like. So I, I ran to hair school, and I went to uh, school on 34th Street in the city. And you talk in your book, which I mentioned before in the podcast, which is an excellent sort of the story of Miss Jessie's and of your sisterhood and, and how you built the business. But you talk about the influence of your parents and in different ways, and especially your dad. Um, you guys launched a cleaning company together. Is that right? When you were like a teenager, you were running this company with your dad. Yes, uh, we did. Our dad, Jimmy Branch, groomed Titi and I to be entrepreneurs at a very early age. So by the time we, we were in our late teens, early 20s, um, we, took our, we, we, we took a stab at becoming entrepreneurs, and we were entrepreneurs. Um, we were with our dad, and uh, that was a very interesting business because we were cleaning and scrubbing toilets and doing all the dirty work. So... Um, uh, that was a wonderful experience for me in particular because I got a chance to, again, uh, understand at a very early age all the things that I did not want to do. So I was playing, paying very close attention to that. So by the time it came to um, make a decision about what I wanted to do, it was very clear to me. So, Miko, I have four sisters and I have, I have my own company. They don't, we're not like partners or any way, but slowly but surely I'm starting to see the talents of my sisters and how they're helping me. How do you, how did you manage that with TT? Like, cause like, so my, the baby Lisa, ugh, she was my personal assistant, but you can guess how that worked out. I'm like, Lisa, <laughs> I'm not paying you to eat my food. And like, <laughs> like, cause she would literally be like, oh, you have mail at mommy and daddy's house. Want me to bring it? And I'd be like, yeah. And then I'd get a bill. Like, that's not, that's not how that works. So, <laughs> so how did you manage like working with your because I know there's obviously some great upside, but what about the times when you guys had some like some difficulties? We were able to manage most of the downsides because in the upside, there was a sister dynamic already in play. See, Titi was my big sister, so we already had pretty much of an understanding. Um, the downside of that came when we were really locked and stuck in our sister dynamic of big sister, little sister. So when it came time to place blame, you know, there was really no room for a big sister or a little sister, you know, moment. It was really, that was the moment that we really had to be partners and be responsible for our role in the business. The only thing was that it wasn't really clear to us what our role was. So we kind of felt our way as we crawled through. But, um, you know, we, we, we managed to figure it out. 
How long do you think it took before you guys felt like you were in a good place and you knew what your role was and you knew what her hers was? And did you, you did you put that in writing? Did you put it on the wall, you know, draw a line down the floor? How did you guys do that, make that division? Well, at first we did not put it in writing. As I mentioned, we had a very special understanding as sisters that kind of uh, it flowed over into our business. So for many years, we did not have a written agreement. But for tax purposes, we, we really needed to formalize our business. And that led us to, um, uh, what did we do? We, we did an LLC. And that was our first partnership, our first legal partnership. Um, although Titi and I didn't really understand what that meant legally, uh, we did it for tax reasons. But, you know, as far as, as a division of labor, there was probably no one area that neither she nor I couldn't do. I mean, we didn't have that luxury, although when we first started out, I imagined that I would just be doing hair all day and my sister would be handling everything else. Didn't work out that way. We had to um, divide everything up pretty much equally, and um, most of the time that worked for us. And sometimes it was really tough on us. When were you able to hire people to help you? How long was it just you and your sister? Blood, sweat, and tears. We're twins. I was literally just about to say, "When do you?" <laughs> we need details, Miko. We need numbers, yeah, facts, and yeah. figures. <laughs> so when we first opened our business in 1997, it was a two-chair salon, and within that first year, Titi and I were able to hire an assistant. Um, we we made a profit in that first year, and we tried to keep our prices at a premium and keep our expenses low. Um, with that formula, we were able to hire someone within the first year. And I think in the first year, we went through maybe two or three assistants because there's a high, high turnover in assistants. And then over the years, we always managed to have um, an assistant in the salon. But when we started mixing product, Titi and I were paying attention to the signs, and the signs for growth were, oh, my God, our backs are hurting. <laughs> oh, my God, we're staying up way too late, and oh, my God, uh, people are ordering this stuff faster than we can make it. So those signs, and we call it common sense, um, we paid attention to them, and that's when we understood we have to call someone in here to help us. And before we knew it, we were... Um, rocking every single floor in this brownstone, you know, with some 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 form of work, and uh, we got our money's worth from this purchase that we made in 1997 in the Bedford Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn. So that was a good investment. Yeah, <laughs> that's where we held our business down. Hold on to that with every ounce what? of strength you have. You know, it's so funny. Like, it, it reminds me of Newark, like how Newark is. Like that's where I live now, and I'm trying my best to buy property because I just don't want five to ten years I'm like oh man I should have it's a great investment and particularly for you know an entrepreneur it's a wonderful place to start your business and you can dual purpose that thing in so many ways triple purpose so I encourage you get your house I've got a question about that because in the book you in the same sort of section where you're talking about buying the house right before that you talk about a tax issue that you guys face Mm -hmm. um, which I think a lot of, you know, new entrepreneurs can deal with. Can you talk about the tax issues that you had early, early on and then sort of where the buying property came into that later? Mm -hmm. I, I honestly don't think TJ and I had a real good understanding of how taxes work in this country. And we also didn't understand that we had a third partner. 
Uh, Titi and I always thought that it was just she and I in business. And because we made a profit very early on, we had to break the IRS off a piece. And that's a big, pretty big chunk. So in the beginning, I think in the first year, we had to pay a tax bill of around 17000 And that was more than she and I had ever paid the IRS. And we were used to the IRS giving us money back. And, you know, I asked Titi because Titi was the, uh, Titi knew everything, Mandy and Tiffany. I asked Titi, do we have to always pay this kind of bill? And Titi <laughs> said, well, the more money you make, the more yep, yep. we have to pay in taxes. And that was, that was new news to me. And in that moment, I realized that we had a third partner. So I, I said, Titi, isn't there uh, a thing where if you buy a house, you have some expenses, you can offset some of those taxes? And she said, yep. And then that's when we, we ran to Bed-Stuy and we got that brownstone. But we purchased the brownstone as a result of this, this new understanding of how taxes work and that it wasn't just she and I in business together. We had a third partner, the IRS. Oh, so you were taking advantage of some tax breaks for first-time homeowners around that time, right? Yes, yes. And this was 1999 when we bought our brownstone, when Bed-Stuy was the hood. Look yeah. at you guys. That's incredible. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would have been so, um, you know, scrappy or um, uh, creative with, when, when faced with a challenge like that. I mean... To me, that's that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a hurting thing. It, it hurts your feelings when you have to give up that money that you've worked so hard for. Um, but you try to find ways to hold on to as much as you can, and that was what we were thinking about. So I'm so glad we did it. Now, I talked about your dad earlier, and I wanted to bring him up because he's a big part of the book. He's a big part of your, you know, he was your primary ter- caretaker for a while, him and, and, and of course, your, your grandmother and the namesake of the company, Miss mm-hmm. Jessie herself. But um, I, I brought up your, your dad earlier because um, I res- this resonated with me because I, I feel like I learned a lot from my parents' mistakes. And you certainly talk about and are candid about watching your father struggle with his own, you know, weaknesses or, you know, his challenges that he faced, you know, as an entrepreneur. And what were some of the biggest lessons you learned from seeing him sort of have his ups and downs? He was in real estate for a while. And then you guys, of course, you had that cleaning business. And that was sort of a struggle. Yeah, what what did you take away from that and, and, and use as you were launching your own business? I learned that business is really about tenacity. I, I sat and witnessed my dad uh, have aspirations and have dreams of bettering himself, bettering us. And he kept trying. You know, my dad kept trying. My dad did not have formal training, but he had a desire to be free and he had a desire to be his own boss. Uh, I think most of his um, aspirations, really, I think Titi and I were the the fruit of his dreams and, and, and his labor. I think for him, although he was not able to see, you know, that million dollar check or that million dollar deal, uh, my dad was grooming Tiki and I for us to really um, hit home runs. Um, so we saw a very proud, smart man do his thing, but he wasn't perfect. And we saw him make mistakes. Any entrepreneur can tell you, particularly the entrepreneurs who don't have formal training, it's not pretty. 
you know? So to be in business with, you know, your very strong-minded dad, um, that wasn't always rosy uh, for us. And, um, you know, sometimes our relationship suffered because of it. I could honestly tell you in terms of um, training, there is no uh, better training course than, than Titi and I could have taken or did take than for us to work with our dad. Uh, he sparred with us and he trained us to be the best. So, you know, I consider Titi and I to be very fortunate and we love him. He, 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 he's an amazing man. What advice do you give? Like, because my biggest struggle is work-life balance. I'm recently engaged. I, you know, and it's just like everyone's always pulling at you. Me and my best friend just had an argument like two days ago. I totally forgot to talk to my my godson on his birthday, and she's like, "What the hell, Tiffany?" And I, I just feel like I'm always stretched. Like, well, how do you manage it all? You know, and without making yourself crazy or feel guilty all the time. I think something's going to give, and really, um, it go it it will go in order by itself. It really falls fall. It really boils down to what's important, what's most important to you. If your boyfriend or your fiance is most important, that's going to get most of your attention. If your business is most important, that's going to get most of your attention. I think for you, you know, in terms of well, what do I do and how do I do it, I think using common sense is the key. And uh, you mentioned the word balance. Balance is a wonderful tool, you know, to put in play. But really, it's about what's important to you. And then you'll be able to prioritize how you want to handle things. So I think you should pay attention to what's important. And then you'll be able to put everything in order. Do you have, I mean, you have a, you have a son, right? Uh, he's a, how old? Teenager, right? He's a teenager. He's 16. He'll be 17 in May. In May. Oh, well, happy birthday to him. <laughs> yeah, he's proud of his 17. <laughs> oh, God, good luck with that. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I, I, and I want to be sensitive, because I know your sister, you guys were obviously very close, and she passed away um, mm -hmm. only a, a couple or a few years ago. Um, but you, you talk about in the book, you know, she was more than your business partner and your sister. She was a co-parent. She was a, you know, a partner. And, um, you know, I, I, I would love to sort of ask you if you have advice for people out there who are, you know, a lot of people go into business with family or with, you know, best friends or partners. And um, sometimes the the worst can happen. And um, one of you may no longer be able to be a part of the company or may unfortunately, something may happen. Um, is there anything you can, you know, learn from your experience um, of, of, you know, of your sister's passing that you'd like to pass on to entrepreneurs and how they can pre not prepare but protect themselves or you know any advice for what to do after something like that happens that you you know think might be useful or that you found useful yes um tt and i built our business together so there wasn't really one area that she or i didn't know about so in Titi's passing, it's not a new experience for me to do some of the, carry out some of the duties that I would normally do if Titi were here. In her absence, just so fortunate, I'm just so fortunate to be able to carry that on. So I'm really just doing what I've always done, just more of it. So that, that, was, um, that was something that um, Army 
with um, being able to carry on the business in her absence. But I just wanted to back up a moment before you know you get to that. In choosing your partner, you touched a little bit on family businesses and partnerships. You know, Mandy, um, family doesn't always guarantee that you're going to get a good partner. You know, we just spoke with Tiffany and, you know, maybe out of the four sisters, one of the sisters might be a better business partner than than, than the other. It's just, it's just like that. It doesn't mean that anyone's bad or good. It's just really chemistry. And, you know, choosing a partner, you have to find someone that you have chemistry with, someone who um, you trust, someone who there's a nice harmony going on. And I think from there, decisions can be made. Sometimes it decisions will go your way sometimes it'll go your partner's way and then you know sometimes you guys will both make decisions together so I think that's really important when you're choosing a partner and then all the other stuff in terms of formalizing your business or you know maybe disputes might come along you know later on down the line I think those things can be worked out but picking uh, choosing a, a business partner is kind of like choosing a boyfriend you know or a spouse you really want to find something someone you like and someone you, you you have good harmony and chemistry with. So we need to, we, we've skipped around, I feel like, with your story and we haven't even, so you started as a hairstylist in your salon, like you said, a two-chair salon, you and TT. When was it that, I mean, you weren't making your own products from the beginning. So how many years, when was it that you started making the Miss Jessie's hair care products and how the heck do you just do that? <laughs> how do you just mix it up in your kitchen? Yeah, that's a great question. Titi and I bought our brownstone in 1999. Uh, I had an aha moment at, at bath time with my son probably in 2000 during the year that he was first born. I couldn't maintain my uh, straight styled hair straight. And that started a conversation with our clients who were coming to our house because we'd gotten kicked out of a salon, out of our two-chair business that, that I mentioned earlier. We had to refuge to our house. That was an opportunity for us, Mandy, because uh, we were pressed. We needed to pay our, our mortgage. I was a single parent. And we were trying our best to think outside the box. Um, that opportunity came at bath time. I was always a great hairstylist, so I got very good at styling curly, kinky, and wavy hair. And quickly, I became an expert. But at the time, there were no Miss Jessies in Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and CVS. So what we did was we took it to our kitchen table the way we saw our grandmother do as she made things from scratch. You know, Titi and I would sit there and mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that. We would use products that were on the shelf and add this and add that to it. But it was Titi um, around 3 o'clock in the morning that cracked that nut and came out with curly pudding. She showed me what we would all know to be as curly pudding. And uh, that product was a wonderful product because it did everything it said it was going to do. And the good news is it did it without chemicals. So that was a new discovery, particularly for the woman with the tighter coil curl. And not only were Titi and I, you know, whipping up curl magic at our kitchen table, but before we knew it, not only were we, you know, offering solutions for women and their hair, we, we realized that we were helping to restore um, 
maybe some esteem that maybe had been bruised over the years, either intentionally or unintentionally, you know, and we were told that maybe our hair was bad and not good. So we were doing a lot of things at once, and it was a labor of love. And um, slowly but surely, you know, we built our business and tried to do the best work we could with service and product. You know what really touched me is when I went natural, like nobody was really going now. And I have like, my parents are both Nigerian, so I have like really tight, kinky curls, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I went natural, there was like, I was just literally just typing stuff on my computer, using honey in my hair, using anything that, you know, anyone, you know, uh, shared. I think, like I said, it was Naturality was literally the only website. And so I'd be like making like products in my kitchen and then my hair would look crazy. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And when I, I couldn't believe when I saw your products, I thought, wait, someone's actually making something <laughs> for, like, for us. It blew me away, honestly. And it's, it's surreal to have you here because, and I just want to thank you for that because when I went natural, people would tell me why. I remember my mom telling me, I guess you never want to get married, huh? Oh, no. Yeah, and I was like, really, mommy? Because, you know, like, natural hair was not, it wasn't, like, now everyone's doing it. It's so cool. But back then, it wasn't something that, that you know, that women did without ridicule. You know, women with, older black women would stop me on the street and say, baby, you're so cute. Why would you do that to your hair? I'm like, do what? It literally grows like this. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> Talk to so, God. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Bring it up with Jesus, you know. <laughs> so, like, what, I mean, what made when did you kind of realize wow so many women are are needing this was there a moment when you were just like i remember like uh, uh watching this like story with lisa price when she realized whoa that like oprah had ordered her products but when did you realize like wow we really hit on a nerve here that this there's nothing like this out here for women with hair like ours well um our products came out during the time that women just started a conversation um online and at the time they were called chat rooms so you know some of the sites you visited are 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 where many of our customers came from and because women were chatting if if we got a customer here we would actually post before and after pictures and we would share that information and then they would share it and would go up on these message boards and before you know it before we knew it our phone was ringing so much we couldn't you know there wasn't enough hours in the day to take on everyone so the the booking you know was way far out so we can accommodate all the interest but, you know, Titi and I understood that women with a tighter coil curl, there was nothing for her in the market. There was nothing speaking to her. There were no real, you know, solutions. She had to go online and try to find someone to have a conversation with. And that bath time, it just, it was right on time, you know. Um, we didn't intentionally um you know, set out to create products like this. It just kind of happened while a conversation was going on. And also during the time that the internet really just started to kick off. So I think we were blessed and uh, we were just armed with the right information and the right intention. And I think that combination put us in a position where we were able to be helpful. No, I'm good. I want to talk a little bit about the business side of things. So you you create this amazing curly pudding. You are excited. You've maybe, you know, went out and got some packages and you started bottling it up and sharing it around. But how do you go from that? I mean, did you did you need investments eventually? When did you go big leagues? And, and how did you sort of bootstrap 
mm-hmm. the venture because like you said you had a son to raise you were you had a mortgage you had bills um mm-hmm. yeah can you kind of uh, uh speak about that Yep. So early on, uh, Mandy, Titi and I uh, learned a a good lesson. It was a hard lesson. We learned that it is in our best interest to have a manageable business. When we uh, first experienced our our, um, first success in the two-chair salon, we expanded to a salon around two blocks up. Yeah, two blocks up, and we ended up getting a place that was three si- three times the size, three times the rent, and it was just too fast and too soon, and we lost it all. And that's we 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 lost our business, and we had to refuge to this brownstone. I mean, that failure later turned into a success, but there was a lesson that always you know stuck with us, and we understood that we needed to have a manageable business. So what we did was we kept we put a premium on our service and our products and we try to keep our expenses down so Titi and I did a lot of sacrificing although I was a single parent you know Titi and I we were roommates we shared the same car we shared clothes uh, Titi co-parented with me um, during the time in, in in the 90s that was a very exciting time in New York City many of my friends were out at the party but you know Titi and I stayed back we reinvested whatever money we made back into the business and the business happened to be in the brownstone and the house that we lived in so we were able to dual purpose many things and we were able to be resourceful until finally we were able to hire more people to help us with our business but that in combination with us creating a winning product and also creating real solutions that worked for people like Tiffany and for people like Miko and Titi and Mandy you know there's so many of us out here and that's the thing about hair with texture it's not just one way there's something for everyone and I think God just gave us the 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 magic formula to come up with something that was going to be helpful all those ingredients together um, served us well and we were able to um, build our business slowly but surely now you know uh, I talked to you about man you know manageability you know by the time that uh, we partnered up with large retailers we understood that it was important for us to grow into the business slowly a lot of us don't understand that when you partner up with a Walmart or a Walgreens it can be very expensive <laughs> you know to um partner up with a retailer like that you know you may have to take out a loan in order to make you know enough curly pudding to fill all 7000 stores so growing into the business slowly was something that we were being very mindful of and i think that was part of the key to us keeping our shirt on as we learned this new business so Titi and I were excellent at cur- making curly pudding, excellent at styling hair, but knew nothing about uh, dealing in, 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 in retail. So what, <laughs> what an education there, but taking baby steps um, really helped us out a lot. What would you say like, was your biggest mistake, like you know, a mistake that, and then how do you get over those things? Like, because I think especially with women, we make these mistakes and then, you know, if you're starting a business and you let that be the thing that makes you stop. So what was your biggest like challenge that you had or one of them? And how do you get past when you have these challenges? 
I think our biggest challenge happened very early on when we lost our business. I mean, you have to understand as an entrepreneur, that is the ultimate form of failure when you lose your business. So that happening to us early on was memorable to us. But along the way, Tiffany, there were so many, um, we, we stumbled a lot. You know, we had to learn a new business. And th one thing that comes to mind is when we got the opportunity to be in uh, the, our first largest retailer, uh, we ended up going in and we were so excited. We signed every contract with no attorney present. <laughs> and, and yeah, and you know, uh, that industry has been an industry that's, you know, everything is pretty much in place and people have um, ways in which they've, they've, they've done business and who are Titi and I to come along and, and, and say anything. But um, we managed to uh, create a space where we can survive um, while doing business with, with some of our large retailers. And uh, we were able to go back in and renegotiate terms that made sense for a small business of our size. And I think that, you know, those terms made all the difference when it came time for us to do business with our new partners. When was the first time you saw Miss Jessie's in a store? Uh, the, okay, so the first time I saw Miss Jessie's in a store, it was actually a store that Titi and I chose. Uh, people were ringing our doorbells like late in the evening, early in the morning when we lived here in Brooklyn on, on Hancock Street. So we needed to find a place, a retailer, and we ended up uh, going um, to this place called Soda Fine in the Fort Green section of Brooklyn. But it was a thrift store, a cool thrift store on DeKalb Avenue. And uh, that was the first place that sold our product. Then there was a store that I loved. It was called, it is called Ricky's. And Ricky's had everything from like Halloween costumes to cool makeup or rare, you know, hairstyling products. It had a little bit of everything. And one day I, we went in there. I had my son. He was around five. And we went in there and we bum-rushed the, the, the stock man. And we asked them why he didn't have Miss Jessie's there. And we asked him to hook us up. And he did. <laughs> Not telling him that it was your product. No, we told him. This oh, is you our did? Product. Okay. Yeah, hook a sister up. We want to be in here. Who do we talk to? Let us know, blah, blah, blah. And he told us everything he knew. And we gave him a case of product. And we told him to pass it on. And he did. Next thing you know, we got a call, and apparently Ricky's, ha they had a meeting every Tuesday where they analyzed, you know, new product or, you know, had those kinds of meetings, and they made their first order, and they had 25 stores, so that was huge for us. That was our first large distribution, so that was our next step of growth, and then ultimately, uh, when we saw our product on the end cap in Target at the Atlantic Terminal um, location in Brooklyn, that was that was larger than life for us, and and you know the rest is history. Do you feel like it's been a couple? I mean, nearly two decades since you know, the, the, the beginning of Miss Jessie's. Do you feel like you're in a place now where you are, you're comfortable financially, you don't have to worry anymore? Or do you sort of still feel that early, you know, entrepreneurial, um, I don't know if anxiety is too strong of a word, but yeah, where's your, what's your mindset like now with the mm -hmm. company? 
Yeah, so um, it goes it goes in phases. There's days uh, I feel like I'm a brand new entrepreneur, and I feel really scrappy. And then there's other days where I realize that you know Titi and I have put in the hard work. And today's a day where we're to enjoy the fruits of our labor. So it all depends on the day. And I mean, what a wonderful position to be in. There, there are times when we're able to enjoy it. But um, as an entrepreneur, the work is never done. And because we still own our business um, 100%, and I don't know if you guys know this, I still refer to our business as our and we, because mm-hmm. Titi's still here with me. But, um, you know, I, I, I've just lost track of my thought right now just thinking about Titi. Let's see. Um, where was I, Mandy? What, what, you were what, just talking about how you have to take time to enjoy all the yes. work you've put in. Yes. Um, as an entrepreneur, it's not uncommon for you to be working 24 hours a day. Um, it's not uncommon for you to be a multitasker. And there were so many years where Titi and I were making the money, but we weren't enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And um, now, particularly after Titi's passing, I make happiness and health and um, enjoyment a priority uh, right up there with business because, you know, business can be good one day and and be bad the next. And, um, you know, while you have it, you have to enjoy it. So um, I have, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to pick my mood, you know, depending on how the day is going. What's that? What's your guilty pleasure? What do you like to treat yourself to? Oh my God! I love to eat. (laughs) I respect you so much more. (laughs) I love to eat, and I love sweets. And you know, I you know, it's not just eating just to you know do something. Like I really enjoy like textures and and flavors. So I really enjoy the experience of eating, and. yeah, that's that's my thing. And I don't I don't I love salt and I love sugar too. So yeah. I love the whole thing. So back to this thing about health. How do you balance these things? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's so it's so funny. Um I've been I love to walk too. So living in Brooklyn, um we have the bridges, so I walk over the bridge. Our our business is now in the city. So it's not uncommon for me to walk over the bridge to the city and back home. Um I try to walk in between because, you know, it's not uncommon for me to have, you know, eaten some dark chocolate with some almonds that I love. So I'll try to offset that with a good walk. And I love to ride my bike. Those are my two. The workouts and the classes, that's so challenging for me. I hate that stuff. But I try to push myself. But um, I just try to keep moving, you know, the best I can. I love that you're just out there in Brooklyn biking around. I might need to... No, I'm not going to be weird. <laughs> every listen, every every everyone in Brooklyn. I mean, you know, everyone in Brooklyn is it has a community feel. We're all trying to do something and it's cool to be out and and to be seen in Brooklyn. So it's it's you can style and and look cute while you're on your bike out here in Brooklyn. So don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, I'm glad you said that cuz finding time to exercise can be so challenging. Mhm. Yes, it can be. 
But, you know, as we're getting older, it is a priority. And I say that with all my heart, as much as I hate it, I try to move, move it around because I want, you know, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And um, like I said, you know, life is short. So when I get to be in my 60s or 70s, you know, I, I do want to I want to have my mobility that that's become a new concern of mine. So I'm trying to keep it moving. Well, I hear it in your voice. I mean, because I, I know a lot of businesswomen who have gotten very successful and somehow have, like, lost touch with, you know, the why of why they started. And they've kind of, like, there's no humility left, I guess, for lack of a better word. How do you – I mean, I can hear it, and I'm sure you can feel it, Mandy, that, you know, Miko, you, you seem so humble and so down to earth. Like, how do you maintain that with all the success? I come from a very humble family. Um, my mom is a Buddhist monk now. Uh, our dad struggled, you know, as he tried to figure out, you know, all the ins and outs of um, being or becoming a different entrepreneur because he tried many different things. Our grandmother was a woman who um, was down to earth. She kept it absolutely 100. And I think Titi and I, we're, we're a product of those kinds of people. I raised my son that way. I think it's it's best. And um, I don't think money should change that dynamic. I think money is a tool um, that you can use to, to, to do many things, but I don't think that money has much to do with character or your personality or your decision making when it comes to um, many things. How about that? <laughs> I feel like money almost brings out exactly who you are how you what when you put a pile of money or success in front of somebody, you'll find out very quickly sort of what kind of person they are. Um, yeah, based on how they how they use that and, and approach it. And it sounds like you've got such a good um, sense of, of that and, and what matters and, and all of that. And um, I mean, one of the things that we're candid on this show, we're very candid, almost to the point of it's, it's, you know, it's borderline TMI, but <laughs> let's be, let's yeah. be real. Yeah. People know too much. I sometimes I forget how candid we are. Yes. And then someone's like, Mandy, I'm so glad you talked about couples therapy. And I'm like, say, how do you know that about my life? Oh, so I do. I have been talking about, you know, um, you know, I'm planning a wedding and we sort of both are in, you know, Tiffany's an entrepreneur and I'm a, I'm a manager for a, um, a personal finance news site. And it's, you know, we talk about the anxieties and the ups and downs and, um, I found this year more than ever, it's been important for me to kind of protect my brain, protect my mind and like take some like mental self care. And I just wonder if there's anything that you do to sort of like keep your mind right. Or are you always just so Zen and, and wise and like balanced? No, not always uh, anything. Um, I'm still growing and I'm still changing, but uh, I'm very protective of my mind and I'm very protective of my space. And um, I, I like to choose wisely when it comes to the people that I surround myself around. I find people with good hearts, whether they're the people that I work with, the people that I do business with, in my personal relationship, it really affects me. And it affects me in more ways than I realize. And as I get older, I find that um, it's important that I, I, I'm mindful of what, what, 
who I surround myself with and what what kinds of environments I place myself in. So if I were to have any control over anything like that, I try my hardest um, to, to manage that space. But, you know, um, therapy is something that I've um, been enjoying. Uh, I've done it for the past two years. And particularly after Titi died, I thought it was really important that I speak with someone. But what I found about therapy is that it's not just a place for people who um, are having major issues, challenges. Although it's a wonderful place for people if they are having those, those, you know, those challenges but it's a wonderful place just to have a standing appointment for you to let your hair down and um, talk about whatever you want to talk about um, hopefully the person you're talking to um, you don't have too much of a personal relationship with them where they'd be offended although it's not uncommon for us to get attached to our, our therapist but I found it's been very helpful to me and it's um, therapy has helped helped me to articulate um, how I feel what I want and um, it's been it's been a helpful tool for me in many areas including business so it's a way for me to practice how to articulate what's in my mind and it made me a better communicator. So therapy has been, um, it's been great. But as I'm getting older, um, I feel like I'm getting wiser because I feel like I'm able to look at things more three-dimensionally and I have more context now and I'm able to look at things um, more dynamically. So I try to apply it as best as I can. If you could go back and talk to yourself when you were 20, maybe when you were miserable in FIT or when you were, you know, just trying to start your hair care business or, you know, in beauty school, dealing with the drama that you talk about in your book, um, <laughs> <laughs> some cat fights in beauty school. It was actually really funny. But um, what what would you what, what advice would you give to your younger self? I know I like I like asking people that question. I feel like it's um. I think we'd all like a chance to kind of go back and give our younger selves a hug. But yeah, what would you tell your younger self? I would tell a younger Miko that it's okay to be me. And uh, for many years, I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed about being pink. I'm really, really pink and very girly and I was raised by a dad who I think he was scared to death of my pinkness mm -hmm. he thought that that may have been weakness and um, I think he didn't want anyone to really hurt me and as a result I think my dad might have been a little harder on me um, in those areas so I was ashamed of, of being a girl girlish and feminine and some of the areas that um, I really excelled in were, you know, beauty, you know, hair, beauty, makeup. And I wish that I um, owned it and embraced it as a younger Miko. And I think that would have given me a different kind of confidence. Um, my sister was always very smart. Uh, Titi read every single encyclopedia in our house. And I think that Titi had a wonderful confidence and posture as a younger Titi because she was able to attach herself to something she was good at. And um, I would have liked to have known that it was okay for me to be me. And I think that I would have been a more confident Miko. 
Well, it has been such a pleasure talking yeah. to you. It has been. Thanks. I'm such a fan. You have no idea. Miss Jessie's is such a big part of my life. And it's, it's, and when you, and you know, I, it's easy to like, um, kind of roll your eyes at, you know, black women when we talk about our hair and how important it is, but it truly is life changing when you have, when you feel like, you know, you can take pride in your hair for once and, you know, and, and just so thank you for, for taking a chance and for making these products and for, you know, keeping TT's spirit alive and continuing on. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And, and for coming on our little show, especially. Yeah. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I enjoy uh, meeting and talking with uh, particularly women and hearing how you guys are doing your thing. I wish TT and I had... Um, had more friends like you guys as we were building our business. Uh, when we were building it, 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 it just, it seemed like it was just she and I. But um, I if you ever need a testimony, <laughs> I will sign right up. Please, do you, are you available for Savannah April 7th? Would you like to come <laughs> test my hair on my <laughs> She's so sweet. Is she real? I know. Honestly, I was like, I wanted to be like, can you be my friend? But I was like, let me not. <laughs> can I just keep you in my pocket when I'm having a bad day? Like, do you want to go to dinner or coffee? Or like- I, I want to be like, I'll be your friend. Are you looking for friends? Do you I want one? <laughs> I'm free. I'm available. That like it's that's what I you know. And she is a reminder of that. That's what I want to aspire to. That like despite the you know as you become more and more successful, I that same energy that she gives us, that same genuineness and kindness, and you can still feel it and see it. And I'm like, you know, that it's possible to maintain that and be wildly successful. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so glad she's an, an awesome example. Like what an awesome, awesome, amazing like spirit. Wow. Yay. Oh, well, I can't wait to use my curly pudding in the morning. <laughs> How often do you get to meet the person who changes your hair? Oh my! God. I know that's yeah. That was a good good choice, Mandy. Yay. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.